Dear listeners, I'm Lauren Conlon, and before you embark on this investigative journey with me, I want to offer a sincere word of my acknowledgement and gratitude. When I, as the host, first set out on this path, I was admittedly very green. I lacked the seasoned expertise and finesse that comes with experience in investigative podcasting and reporting. However, Every story has a beginning and an ending, and this podcast represents the start of my own investigative odyssey. So as you dive into these episodes, you may notice rough edges or moments where my inexperience shines through, but please know that every stumble and misstep has been a crucial part of my learning process, and I've embraced each challenge as an opportunity for growth and improvement. So I want to express my heartfelt appreciation to each and every one of you who was stuck with the story despite my imperfections because Grant's story is important. So your support and patience have been invaluable as I've navigated the complexities of investigative podcasting and your feedback, whether constructive criticism, words of encouragement, or maybe something that wasn't so nice has helped me and helped shape this podcast into what it is today. So without further ado, here is Corruption, What Happened to Grant Solomon. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, everyone. I'm Lauren Conlin, and you are listening to Corruption, What Happened to Grant Solomon? Last week, I was fortunate enough to spend time with the incredible Peter Hyatt statement analysis team, breaking down Aaron's written statement to the police, as well as the 911 call. Well, today we're going to get a bit deeper into the 911 call with Paul Maladay, who also has a statement analysis company of his own, but he serves on Peter Hyatt's team as one of his associates. And he was so incredible to work with. And I feel just so lucky to be able to discuss this with Paul. And I really can't wait for you guys to hear him talk and get into detail about the 911 call. And I want to remind everybody... 
as I did before. He had no backstory. He knew nothing about the relationship between Angie and Aaron, Aaron and Grant, Aaron and Gracie. This was all based on what he heard on the 911 call and what he saw in Aaron Solomon's handwriting. So before we get into that and get into that interview, I wanted to read something that was posted on the Freedom for Gracie Instagram account and and Facebook and wherever else, but um, it's pretty important, the statement, so I'm going to read it to you guys. Quote, to all of Grant and Gracie's supporters, investigators need your help. Were you at Grant's visitation on Friday, July 24th, 2020, his memorial service Saturday, July 25th, 2020 at Grace Chapel Church, or his graveside service the same day at the Williamson Memorial Funeral Home Garden of Angels? Were you at one, two, or all? And if so, did you take any pictures of Grant, of the floral arrangements, of the people, investigators need these pictures. Please send them to the Freedom for Gracie direct messages or justiceforgrant at proton.me. These photos will be held confidential and will only be used for Grant's open investigation. The investigators are looking for something specific. No picture is unimportant. Please pass this message to people you know who may have been in attendance and send those pictures in. Thank you. End quote. So yes, this is important and investigators are in fact looking for something specific. I can't get too much into the actual specifics right this second, but if you're listening and you do have pictures, but you don't think they're important, or maybe you're just really nervous or scared to send them, I just want to reiterate that everything is anonymous and you don't have to be scared because your name will never be disclosed. And again, no picture is unimportant. And this is random, but I was texting with Beth Braden from Luna Shark and she was like, you know, it's hard to believe that with an open casket and Grant's body just looking so perfect the way it did, no one said, wait, he was dragged? And Grant did have an open casket at the viewing, but at the funeral itself, it was closed. But I did ask Angie about this and I said, you know, that's a good point. I mean, maybe people didn't feel like it was the appropriate place to say, wait, what happened to him? He doesn't look like he was dragged. But Angie said a lot of people came forward after the fact and said, yeah, I was really wondering about that because, you know, he didn't look like he got dragged, especially, you know, at the viewing, having an open casket. And I got an email from somebody and it was interesting. And they said, you know who got dragged and look like they got dragged? Jeremy Renner. Obviously not the same thing, but his injuries were very visible. But anyway, just some food for thought. Okay, so before we jump in with Paul Maladay, I'm going to remind you of some of the conclusions that were made by the entire statement analysis team with the 911 call last week. And I read these uh, on last week's episode, but I will read them again just to refresh your memory before we start the interview. Okay, quote, one, Did the caller prioritize Grant's plight? No. Two, did the caller facilitate the flow of information to help Grant? No. Three, did the caller show empathy towards Grant? No. Four, did the caller indicate for subtle blaming of the victim? Yes. Five, did the caller distance himself from Grant? Yes. 
Six, did the caller describe the attempts to save Grant? No. Seven, did the caller ask for help in saving Grant? Instructions, guidance, etc.? No. Eight, did the caller address Grant's current state to better help responders? No. And the last one, nine, did the caller indicate for candor in this call? No. End quote. Okay, with all of that in mind, here is my interview with statement analysis expert, Paul Maladay. You know what? I'm going to give you the floor here um, to just go on. I have, you know, I have the 911 call transcribed in front of me, but um, yeah, if you just want to go for it, you know, I'm, I'm here to listen. Everybody's here to listen and we're very anxious. Thank you very much. Brilliant. So the operator starts, where's your emergency? And he says, it's 1357 Southwater Street. It's off 109. Please hurry. So when we look at emergency calls, we look at what's expected and what's, uh, what's unexpected in a, a 911 call. So we expect urgency and we got it here. So that's good. But we do make a, a note of any words that potentially ingratiate the caller with the operator. So where they're trying to make friends or get them on side. The words like please, or if the call starts off with hi, for example, we tend to see these coming up more often in cases where the, the caller may be being deceptive. Mm. Um, so we make a note of these, but with anything in statement analysis, we don't look to make any determination on one thing alone. Uh, house isn't built on a single brick. So we just don't jump to any conclusions. Mm-hmm. So Aaron has answered the question that he was asked, where is the emergency? But we don't know what the emergency is. And he could have told the operator this. And in many calls, the caller will give that information. But we'll hold on to that thought and give them the benefit of doubt uh, of, of the doubt, but keep that in mind as we go through the call. So the operator says, you said 57, and Aaron says again, please hurry. But he doesn't offer why, and it's another opportunity for him to do it. It's only a short part into the call, but we expect that urgency and that information to be delivered ASAP. You know, this is his son. Yeah. So the operator says, um, so he said, um, my son's backed, uh, backed, uh, my son's tracked, truck backed over him and rolled over him and drug him into the ditch and it's on top of him. He's trapped under the truck. Yeah, somehow it drug him underneath. Yes, my son is under it. I'm trying to, no, I'm trying to call 911. Let's take the first part of this. Mm-hmm. My son's truck backed over him and ran, uh, rolled over him. So in the subject's mind, in Aaron's mind, this was a twofold event. So it backed over and it rolled over him, not run over. We've got the rolled, which is relatively passive in the language as well. So when we're looking at account, uh, accounts of an event, we're looking for linear accounts in time and the explanation. And what we've got here is almost a double event, uh, which is unexpected even in a 911 call. The other factor that enters in here is the question was an active one. What's going on? What's the situation? So um, did the operator ask how it happened? No. No. So more importantly, does Aaron really answer the question to help the operator and the emergency services that are on their way? What's going on? My son's trapped under the truck. He's barely breathing, for example. Could have been a great response for him to give. 
Mm-hmm. So although this is relatively early on in the call, we expect his father would be telling us what the situation is with urgency um, with his son, not the situation with the truck. Um, so then Aaron moves to passive language to convey what's happened to his son, uh, whose condition we don't know yet because he's not told us. So we find um, passive language in cases where the subject or person wants to conceal or diminish responsibility uh, or minimise what they've done. So just to give a couple of quick examples where we see passive language, one common example is we wrestled and the gun went off. Uh, They had the gun and they pulled the trigger. Uh, Another more sophisticated example might be I heard the gun go off, I saw blood in the other room, I went in and saw he was dead. What that person is saying is 100% truthful. They could probably pass a polygraph uh, based on what they don't say. say. So in that particular example, and this was a real case, she did hear the gun go off. Uh, She saw the blood in the other room and she did find out he was dead. Um, When people deceive, it's 90% plus by omission, what they don't say, Um, only around 10% um, would be around where someone makes a blatant lie. Uh, in this example, she did hear the gun go off because she was the one who pulled the trigger. She shot him from the other room and went in to check he was dead. So it's just an example of the, the passive language that can be used by people. So okay. in this um, in this 9-11 call, Aaron uses that passive language to the truck, which backs over him and rolled over him. Uh, potentially twice by his account. So we've got that passivity that that he relays through the truck, uh, rolling over him, running over him. Um, so he says, uh, so Aaron says he's trapped under the truck. So that's, that's good. He's told the operator that his son is trapped under the truck. Um, but he hasn't said that his son is in danger of dying or right. in any form of danger. You know, he's just trapped under the truck. Uh, if we just purely go by what he's saying at this point. And unless he says it, we can't say it for him. Uh, He also doesn't say, yeah. Um, He also doesn't say that he tried to get, he's tried to get his son out from underneath. So we don't know if he's done that, whether Grant is alive or dead or his condition. Um, and again, he repeats, sorry, Lauren. no, I was going to say, I don't want to make you lose your train of thought, but something you guys had said, I believe, uh, you know, when we were doing this uh, last week is he's blaming the truck and to, to your team, that was almost diminishing human responsibility that he was like, nope, I didn't do this. The truck did it. And I don't remember who said this, but it really hit home to me. So I just wanted to repeat this for other people. They just said, you know, there was a 911 call or a case of this guy who called 911 and said, oh, this, what was it? These bricks fell on so-and-so's head, but really he bludgeoned this guy with a brick. And it was like, nobody asked about how this guy died or with the, you know what I mean? So that all was just kind of going on in my head, but sorry, continue. Absolutely. That's spot on. And, you know, that's, um, that's absolutely the case here. Um, Mm. So yeah, absolutely. Um, so again, you know, he re- is repeating that somehow his son got drug underneath. I don't know if it's a regional saying. I, I have seen it in some statements, some US statements, as instead of dragged, 
sort of mm-hmm. thing. But drug is sometimes used. But sometimes what comes out in our language, yeah, you know, what happens in our day to day, yeah, what might happen in our day, sometimes that will come out in our language and um, how we account and what we talk about during the day. And in, you know, and in criminal accounts as well. So, yeah, we, we made a note just to check for, you know, potential uh, drugs, whether it's Aaron, the Sun. I believe the Sun was into baseball, so it could even be performance-enhancing drugs, but there was wow. conflict about drugs. So I did not think of that. The word drug could just be very, yeah. I would say, and I mean, you know, you don't know as much background as I do, but I would say, yeah, that could really be something in Aaron Solomon's mind, the word drugs. So, wow. Thanks for pointing yeah, that out. Yeah, and it does come up. Yeah, it comes. It does come out in quite a few different statements that we look at, yeah. Um, so um, the operator goes on to say, what's your name? Oh, my God, my name is Aaron Solomon. Oh, God. So he gives his name, but he brings in dirty using God. Um, and again, we find this coming up in a lot of deceptive calls. So it's again coming through to that patterns and that thread mm-hmm. um, that we see in other things. Again, we just want to keep objectivity, but more often Doughty is used in deceptive caller calls where the caller will try and introduce Doughty to sort of bring in a greater power um, than the police, than themselves, than a judge. It sort of um, empowers and justifies what they've done. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can also be act as a means to fill empty moments, empty spaces in conversation where they might feel uncomfortable. So um, there's a couple of things that might be in play there. Okay. Um, so the operator goes on to say, and you uh, and you said you're at 1357 South Water Street, right? Yes. How old is the male? He's 18. He just turned 18 about a month ago. It's my son. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is not good. We've got more deity coming in there, but worryingly he uses the word, it's my son. We appear to have a subtle change of his language from he, a personal pronoun, towards his son, to it. So what, what is the it? Is, it? is Grant's condition possibly now at a point where he becomes an it, but we can't say because the father hasn't told it? Mm. Um but then he continues to say, this is not good. And what, what isn't good? Is this a situation or is Grant not good? Yeah, we'd expect, uh, yeah, we'd more likely expect him to say, Grant isn't good. But the use of it's not good or this isn't good rather isn't, you know, isn't reflective of what we, we would normally expect. What expect. kind of so, characteristic would that be in a human to sort of say it's not good when it's kind of referring to your own son exactly exactly and it's that loss of the um the the direct personal you know what why is there's a there appears to be a detachment yeah um from him being able to use the he um or or the name, and he hasn't used his son's name at the, uh, up to this point. I don't think he uses it throughout the interview. Right. Not always needed, you know, because we're looking at a nine one one call where urgency is important. Um, so he instead of Grant, you know, could be, you know, we could we could give him a pass on that. But the it's okay. my son is a bit un, you know, is something we flagged as unusual in there. Um, so he, uh, the operator goes on to say, is he awake? Um, 
which is a bit vague. Um, but Aaron Solomon said, oh, please hurry. I don't know. I don't think so. So instead of answering the, di- the question directly, he uses, oh, please hurry. So more potential ingratiation here. Mm. But this is the first time he's, that he's directly asked what Grant's condition is. There's a critical information for the responders. So he says, I don't know. But why doesn't he know? This was the first indication to us within the group that he's linguistically and potentially physically distancing himself or distant from the truck. Yes. Uh, from the you know, sun under the truck. So he might be making the call from another position. Uh, so if Grant isn't awake, then he, is he breathing? But we don't know if his son is alive and the father isn't telling us uh, at this point. And we've got to question why. Why he's not giving us that information. Um, so the operator goes on to say he's not alert, right? And then he says, no, he's out and he's trapped. I've got three guys here and he's trapped under the truck. So out is not unconscious. It's not giving us really, you know, some more detailed information about his condition just out. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say how long he's been out. That information, again, could be vital for the first responders. So out is vague and it also minimizes his condition. Um, also, no, he's out would have been enough to say. But he's got need to tell us again twice that Grant is trapped. And repetition within a sentence, within a statement, uh, particularly within a, sta- a sentence, indicates that something is sent- particularly sensitive to that person. Now, we'd expect it to be sensitive to him because he's thumbed under the truck. Um, you know, he's, give, give, he's making that emergency call. But earlier he gave the reason why Grant was trapped when he wasn't asked mm-hmm. how it happened. And all we know is the sun is out, but nothing more. Um, so the, the repetition here within the group made us think, is Grant actually trapped? And I think this was something that was also borne out in the handwriting as well in terms mm-hmm. of the... Um, that was also mentioned. So actually, we've got yeah. the handwriting and the statement and um, analysis marrying together on the very same point, which was, yeah, which was interesting. Yes. Um, so if Grant wasn't physically trapped, then this might be a need to persuade by Aaron, his father, that Grant was trapped by the vehicle and the cause of death. Uh, uh, sorry, the, and that was actually the cause of what happened to him. Um, but if Grant wasn't actually physically trapped and, you know, when we first went through it, certainly when I went through the, um, the, the statement initially, didn't yeah. have any sort of ground truth on that side of things. So are the injury, uh, injuries Grant sustained congruent with a truck rolling over him? Don't know. So this was a red flag given everything that we'd considered in the statement up to that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. um, And I was going to wait to sort of bring this up uh, at the end, but something they say in or that Aaron says in the written statement is the next thing I know, I hear and see the truck roll over him. And this was brought up in the other podcast by Luna Shark Media. They said, well, wait a minute. He doesn't say anything about that in the 911 call. I hear and see. And so that's not marrying together. You know what I mean? Like, it's very odd the way he kind of changes everything. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And changes his story. Like, he is trying to convince himself as well almost you know yeah absolutely it's not it's not consistent i mean always sort of an example i give in terms of you know when when we're looking at truth against you know sort of deception Mm -hmm. have you ever played the game kaplunk where you've got to take the straws out without the marbles falling through yes (laughs) yes So it's a bit of a weird other example to, to use. But if you can imagine, if we tell the truth, we can pull those straws out and none of those marbles, none of those marbles, if you imagine a deceptive person, they are the things that they don't want to let out. We'd be able to pull out the straws and none of those marbles, yeah, we wouldn't need to worry about the marbles first off, but none of those marbles are going to drop down. We don't know that we could do it blindfolded. Mm. A deceptive person has to think about it. They might have to take their time. They might pause. They might pause over their pronouns. They might, sorry, stutter on the pronouns. I, um, lots of these different things that we're picking up here. Um, so they have to take a lot more care in when they're actually looking at things like this. Mm. So that makes sense. But Yeah, no, it does. I mean, this is just random, but do you think that in your experience that Aaron Solomon would be able to pass a polygraph test? answering questions pertaining to the accident or the event because he has convinced himself in his own mind that some of this stuff happened the way he said it did. I always just get curious about that type of stuff. Yeah. If it, if he was, um, you use if the questions were using his own words mm-hmm. and he was asked about, uh, he was asked specific questions, the correct questions and no external language was brought in. He wouldn't pass polygraph. He wouldn't pass if he was just, no. yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. I don't know. I'm always curious because everyone is, you know, or maybe I watch too much TV where it's like, these are not accurate, but this, you know, and it's really tough to be, because I always think like, oh my gosh, I get so nervous. Would I be able to pass? Apo-? Anyway, making it about me. I'm so stupid. Um, Okay. Anyway, continue, please. <laughs> that's great. Um, so, um, yeah. So the operator said, um, okay, Amazon, oh my God. Operator says, I understand, sir. Stand on the phone with me while we get someone out there. What's your name? Aaron Solomon and a few other bits. So the operator goes on to say, what kind of vehicle is it? And Aaron says, it's a Toyota Tacoma and he's underneath the vehicle. He was only asked what kind of vehicle it it was. Again, he's got to add that his son is trapped. Now, we understand that. And, you know, he might be anxious, you know, giving those things, but... This is, you know, this is one of many times that he's that he 
seems to need to tell us and persuade us that that's happening. Or, um, but here he uses a little change of language, a more passive underneath the vehicle rather than being trapped. Um, so the operator says, got that, what color is it? It's a white truck, that's my son. Somehow it backed up. Yeah, yeah, I'm on the 911. Oh, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. They're saying, that's my son. So again, you know, potentially we've got distance where, again, we're wondering where he's making that call in relation to his son. Is he nearby? It doesn't seem like it. Mm. Um, and um, why hasn't he checked the gears or tell us he's checked at this point? We've got more inconsistencies in the language and the account there. Um, was your son working on it? No, no, he was just getting out of it. We're on an incline, and I guess he didn't have it in park or something, or it wasn't engaged. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God, I can't believe this. So why is he guessing? Even if he hadn't had time to check before the call, why isn't he doing it now and checking it? It would be a question to ask. Uh, and you say he's not responding. No, no. And he's still under the truck. No one could get him out from underneath it. No. Um, so then it goes on to, we saw, uh, we saw units on route to you. I'm just asking the question so we can update them. Okay. Can you check if he's breathing? And then he says, how someone's telling me he's coming too. So we've got the someone's telling me in red here. Yeah. Um, why is someone telling him why, you know, where is he making the call from? And what, again, why is he not with Grant at this point? It's a mobile phone. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Um, we we did think about the possibility there might, you know, where there was a slight incline, maybe it wasn't a, a, as good a signal there and given the benefit of the doubt there. Yeah, but sorry, again, I, I made a call there. Re- <laughs> I made a call on that hill. The signal's perfectly fine. So. Yeah, absolutely. He, he, and he doesn't explain that anyway within the call. We didn't expect him to do it. So again, mm-hmm. that, that one falls by the wayside. So um uh, so the operator says, okay. Um, so the operator says he's waking up and try to keep him still. So he, so he, he's, he's breathing. And then, uh, Aaron says, well, yeah, he can't move. I don't think he can move. I don't know. So he gives a, a really vague answer, which didn't, doesn't appear to answer the main one. Is he breathing? We teach interviewers and operators to avoid compound questions more than one question because often deceptive people will appear to answer the questions but they're only answering part of it it's always best to answer a single uh, ask a a single question so um, the operator says okay i understand no he can't move he's trapped um so again it says he's trapped um it's just another place where we expect aaron to tell the operator what he or other, the other three men that are there um, uh, have done, you know, if they tried to move him or for him to ask for help or guidance on how to move it, but what best to do to help save his son. And uh, it's not there. No, this it's is the there. cringiest, cringiest part to me in the entire uh, 911 call is pretty much what he's about to say, but go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, the operator says, we've got someone on ro- route. When he wakes up, he might be scared. Can someone sit down there and talk to him? And uh, Aaron says, yeah, someone, so, uh, yeah, somebody talk to him. Oh, cringing. I'm cringing. Someone talk to him. Someone talk to my dying son. Disgusting. 
and it, it's extremely it, it is unusual um and again just you know when we look at sort of other cases that we look at um and without sort of, you know drawing the you know obviously you've seen the conclusions that we've come to here but you know in in other situations we do we can we can find that people when they make these the 911 calls and they're responsible they don't often make them from the same place as the body they don't want to necessarily be there they've had some um uh you know if they they're directly or indirectly indirectly involved in that so um but they yeah wow so possibly he did not want to go down there because he just couldn't be down there anymore it's possible it's a possibility and you know obviously the language is unusual in in that respect um so yeah um so yeah again the, you know just on the, um where is Aaron yeah when he's saying that why isn't he right next to his son as we said before it's the thread throughout throughout so far and then he says um there's blood um not his bleeding or grant's bleeding again this is another small inconsistency one of those additional you know layers on you know that we're looking at uh, that seem to be building um in the inconsistencies and we find that in 911 calls where the caller is responsible you know just looking at other ones that we deal with that the, the caller will say that there's bl- there's blood mm-hmm. rather than my wife's bleeding my husband's bleeding for example because for a, for a few reasons they're minimizing the blood being from or coming from that person the fact that they may have that, that they caused it potentially so it's another flag that we you know we raised here mm-hmm. um yeah on that particular one um is he facing up and down he's facing up uh, but the operators having to drag the information up out out through lots of questions um they said we may need to aspirate, we need to hurry. Oh my God. So the aspiration I think is possibly where he's trying to breathe and you know, there's the blood there as well. Mm. Um, so the operator has to ask, so does he have blood coming out of his mouth? Um, she's got to ask this information again. Yeah. Yeah. There's blood coming out. Yeah. Somehow it drug him down. Uh, I think, I don't know whether it was in park or not, or if it didn't engage the brake, uh, or it drug him underneath somehow. So again, instead of describing his medical condition and, and his situ- the situation is right, that's happening right now uh, as he's talking to the operator, Aaron again is telling us more about the truck, what he doesn't know, what he hasn't checked, and what he's speculating might have happened. Right than the condition of his son under the truck. He's using more time, more words on the truck than to, uh, you know, uh, and to say what he thinks might have happened than crucial information that might help the ambulance responders. So again, you know, we noted this was unusual and the repetition again about the truck and what may have happened as a potential need to persuade that the truck did run over him. Um, uh, so although he's speaking to the operator, uh, his unintended audience could have been the police when they listen to the call later, so they hear an account of what he's saying. Um, so the operator says, okay, 
Um, and then again, he says, they said he's facing up. So it's past tense. Doesn't sound immediate. Not they say right. he's facing up. They said. So don't know, you know, um, and why doesn't he know? Um, and what did he do when he first saw his son? We don't know that because he hasn't told us. Um, Aaron goes on to say, Ben is bleeding from his mouth. Uh, so Grant, turn your face to the side if you can barely but be careful. And that's how it's transcribed, as I understand it. So he finally tells Grant what to do, but we still don't know if he's nearby. We don't know whether he's shouting over. We, we don't know where he is in, in relation to his son on that. Mm-hmm. So the operator says, don't move him, okay? And he says, we can't move him. We can't move him. The operator, operator says, all right. And Aaron says, yeah, okay. Uh, and all right again. But just a small note to end. He doesn't ask how long the responders will be. This is his son who might be dying. And there just seems a lack of desperation and emotion. The emotion, you know, it could be that he actually, you know, operates under that sort of thing, you know, where he's trying to get his head on. But they're things based on other calls that we look at to be a lack of emotion there, yeah, relatively to other statements that we've looked at. So that's wow. it, doesn't it? Wow. I mean, that right there. And I want to reiterate to everybody that you had no backstory on this. You had no, no. idea the relationship between father and son, father, you know, dad and mom, dad and daughter. You had no idea. This was strictly your analysis on this 911 call that you found to be incredibly deceptive. Am I right? That's right. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, as you know, afterwards, we took it through and we did the analysis within the group over mm-hmm. about five hours and a couple of three statements and came to the conclusions that you uh, popped on your blog and everything else. So, yeah and, yeah. and that's where we are at the moment. So it would definitely be something where we would, you know, recommend that he be interviewed um, further and asked in more detail about what happened. Yeah. And, you know, I mentioned this to you briefly, but we're having to do an independent investigation because the police and the state of Tennessee consider this case closed. So when you said that, oh, most likely, you know, uh, if a a police officer or, you know, would, would go back and listen to this call, I have a hard time believing that anyone did that the way they closed this case immediately after 57 minutes being on site. I, I don't, see them having to go back and, and listen to this unless they just wanted to hear it for themselves and to to see what they were covering it up. And that's obviously a speculation I'm saying. I'm not, um, that's, that's me, my opinion. But uh, yeah, that's, that's what I'm thinking. Like they never did anything with this call, you know, or else they would have been like, oh my goodness, this is so deceptive. Um, but yeah, that's what we're dealing with. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so you know, we do look. We look a lot of these uh, the nine nine one one calls, nine 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 calls, and mm-hmm. um, of course, so we can see the patterns. Whereas you know, perhaps a, a police officer, you know, some some training is given in statement analysis to some departments, not all. So it may be that they look at that and just don't pick out, you know, what we what we do and what we see and recognize the patterns that we do. So, you know, it may be that, you know, they've looked at it and, you know, not not being able to see what we brought out here. 
Um, yes, you're so diplomatic and you're so you're good about that. Um, maybe maybe they weren't as trained or. Yeah, sure. Totally. Maybe. But I'm not trained. And I heard that and I was like, what? Something is not right about this. And, you know, before I got to talking with you guys and other experts in the field, I couldn't put my finger on it. What? I was thinking, but I just knew innately that something was was not right just as a parent myself. Um, I wanted to ask you, I just wrote in my notes section. So just going back to last week quickly uh, with the handwriting analysis, somebody brought up, I think it was on Twitter. They just said, you know, they were fascinated by uh, the analysis of the handwriting, but they did say, you know, what if this person was was rushing or they were, you know, they were writing this statement because they had to, you know, he's a grieving father, let's say, that had to get to the hospital. I know that when I'm rushing, I don't close my bees or I might not, you know, I mean, I didn't see any sort of shaky handwriting or anything that would make me believe he was rushing. But um, I don't and I don't even know if you can answer that fully without being the handwriting analysis. But just let me know your thoughts. Yeah, I think um, generally when it comes to handwriting, uh, and, you know, I can't talk as an expert on that side of things, um, but they're looking uh, – they, they will recognise what uh, – they will recognise what what is the they, – they can operate from a baseline, so they can also look at previous handwriting and compare it, for example, which could be, you know, an option for here if there is any doubt. But, mm-hmm. again, you know, looking at the st- – with statement analysis, what we do is ask – what happened, you know, tell us what happened that day from the moment you got up from to the moment you went to bed. What that does is it allows us to be able to get that baseline mm-hmm. of how they how they speak, how they, they would normally speak, how that what words they use, the way they put the the the, um, the the way they put the their sentences together, the different words that they use, mm-hmm. and just really just get a baseline on that. Um, to be able to then, when it comes to um, you know a potentially deceptive area, then it sort of jumps out even more. But even then, you know, in, in both fields, you can actually zone in um, when you're when you're actually looking at them um, and yeah. recognise these things. I think I think what uh, I think what probably what the handwriting analysts has found are the outliers in the language. You know, the ones that. Um, sorry, in the handwriting, the ones that um, are just coming up that in their experience, they you know they recognise as you know in, in the same way that we do within the nine eleven calls, the things that really jump out that that fall that follow patterns that you've already right. um, that you've already analysed. If that makes sense, yeah, no, that makes sense, and that's you know I thought of that. I was like, I'm certain that they're trained to note the type of writing that's rushed or, or, you know, whatever. So that, that did pop into my head, but I did just kind of want to ask you about it. Even though the state of Tennessee is denying that this is a crime, I feel like after talking to more and more people that are active, uh, that we have something here, you know, it's just a matter of getting it into the proper hands. Do you agree? Or am I just wishful thinking here? I, yeah, I think having looked at the 9-11 call and the, um, the the very brief statement that was written, mm-hmm. you know, there are things that sort of raise, that, yeah, they raise concerns. We've got indication, uh, indicators of potential deception there. And 
it would be, I think, you know, the natural thing would be to investigate it further, get a full statement, um, you know, like, like we said, you know, tell us about your day, tell us what happened, um, analyse that, and then drill down to anything, uh, into anything that, you know, that jumps out again, you know, to try and, uh, you know, yeah. uh, really get to the bottom of it, so... And that was Paul Maladay. Sorry for cutting it off a little bit abruptly, but I'm I'm still processing some of the things that he had to say. But something that stuck out to me as really interesting and important is the use of certain words by Aaron Solomon, whether or not he realizes he's using them or whether or not it's just a subconscious thing for him. But the word drug, for example, you know, Paul is British. So he said, I'm not sure if you guys use the word drug or dragged or whatever it is, but Aaron Solomon seemed to say the word drug twice or quite a bit. And That seemed to set off a red flag in my head, just thinking back on Gracie Solomon's allegations against her father, where she said she got this sugary lemonade at bedtime that quote unquote made her fall asleep or quote unquote made her pass out, but not remember certain things, not be able to feel her entire body that could potentially be a drug. And yes, that's, that's speculation and... I'm just thinking out loud because it is such a coincidence. But anyway, I want to thank everybody for listening and being so supportive with this case. I did write a couple notes in the episode notes section just to reiterate some of the things that Paul said so you guys could just view them easily and have them on hand. And as always, there is the change.org petition you can sign or the GoFundMe. We'll be back next week with another episode of Corruption, What Happened to Grant Solomon. Thank you for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.